You know, you might be wondering to yourself, uh, Pastor Steve, exactly how are you going to uh, preach to an empty auditorium? Well, I actually come at this with some experience. Uh, my first, I don't know, many months of being the pastor here at the church, I used to go to the auditorium on Saturday night and I would preach the entire sermon through on Saturday night. And I was kind of a dry run, I was getting ready for Sunday. But I found that I got so into it that I was making myself hoarse preaching on Sunday morning. And so I, I stopped that. But I, I do have experience with this. And I got to say, in some ways, this is kind of dreamy for me. Uh, because none of you are in a hurry to get home. You're already home. And in a sense, all of you are in the front row. So this is like pastoral heaven coming now, opening God's word together with you today. My title uh, of this message is Disinfecting Fear. Disinfecting Fear. You know, these are probably the two most common activities in the world today, disinfecting and fear. Everybody's dis disinfecting pretty much everything, and everybody is afraid. And where has all of this got us to? Well, it's got us to uh, empty shelves in the grocery store and uh, vacant airports and uh, vacant churches on a Sunday morning. This is where it's brought us to. Did I ever think we'd have a Sunday like this? No. Did I ever think we might have a series of Sundays like this? No. Who could have ever thought of these developments or expected them? And what a crazy week we've had. You know, if you just think about all the things that have changed in the last seven days. In the last seven days, all travel from Europe to the U.S. was canceled. The stock market lost trillions of dollars. The president declared a national emergency on COVID-19. The governor of Indiana mandated no gatherings of 250 people or more. And Bethel Church is foregoing our normal uh, eight services across five locations to having this now live stream service with you this with you this morning. And what about tomorrow? I don't know. Who knows what tomorrow has in store other than I'm sure tomorrow there's going to be a lot of disinfecting and there's going to be a lot of fear. And you know it's a lot easier to disinfect your hands than it is to disinfect your heart, to disinfect your fear. And that's what I want to talk with us about today. How do we, how do we disinfect fear biblically? You know, is it a coincidence that the word pandemic and the word panic both start with the same three letters, P-A-N, pan. This is the Greek word, it, it comes, uh, or it means all. Okay, so a pandemic is all, or everybody's got it. Panic is everybody's freaking out. Thankfully, today, not everybody's got it. And in fact, relatively speaking, very few people in the U.S. have it. But what everybody has today is panic. Everybody has fear. Nobody knows what's going to happen Fear is an infectious disease as well. It's passed uh, very quickly amongst people. 
and it rises within our hearts almost without any effort. You think about how fear has infected our society. As we stand here today, universities shut down. March Madness, uh, now March Sadness. We have no basketball tournament. The NBA is suspended. All the local schools are closed. Nobody's shaking hands. And in our present culture, it's, it, it's not necessarily only because of the coronavirus, but because possibly there's also a shortage of toilet paper. Either of those good reasons not to be shaking hands. And so we come today together and you might say, well, Pastor Steve, what's going to happen? Listen, I'm a pastor, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what's going to happen. But how about we talk about what has already happened or what is already here, and that is fear. Fear is here. What is fear? Fear is anxiety over the potential loss of something that is really important to us. We, of course, especially fear losing ultimate things in our life, the most important things in our life. And the Bible tells us that those most important things are the actual functional gods of our hearts. The things that I fear the most are the things that I value the most. And so there is this direct connection between the true gods of our hearts and the terror at the possibility of losing them. I think back over at least my, my life, the last really good look at the functional gods of our hearts and the functional gods of our society that I recall is uh, what happened after 9-11. Some of you were uh, alive back then, some of you were not. Those were different circumstances, but the distress and the, the, the fear in the air was largely the same. There were people that feared further violence and so they wouldn't step on a plane. There were people that feared financial loss and they watched with horror as the markets plunged. There were people that feared war and the loss of their children and watched as their sons and daughters went off to war in the Middle East. And on and on we could go. To love is to fear the loss of the beloved. And it goes backwards from there. To love something is therefore then to fear the loss of it. So if we love money, we fear losing it. If we love our health, we fear losing it. We love our children, we fear losing them. Love your life and death is the ultimate fear that we have. So we can say love whatever and the panic that we experience simply shows how important that thing is to us. Now, don't get me wrong here today, none of us are, are hoping for the pandemic to get worse. None of us are hoping for schools to remain closed. None of us are hoping uh, for financial loss or job loss or anything else. None of us want those things for us or for anyone else. But our response to the possibility of losing those things is very revealing. And that is why we can live decades, and maybe in some cases, maybe since 08, we have lived a very prosperous as a society decade where these little functional gods of our hearts have lied dorm dormant, latent, stealthily in our hearts. We couldn't even see them. We didn't realize that they were there. And then all of a sudden we get the cancer diagnosis or all of a sudden the market corrects 
or all of a sudden there's a pandemic that threatens. And what bubbles up now are not new things that uh, weren't there before. It is simply revealing the things that have subtly been there but now are being threatened. They have subtly been there, been there stealing our joy in the things that God would have us to live for. But now this crisis comes and it unmasks all of these functional gods. And this is where we're at today in our culture. There's a guy by the name of David Foster Wallace. He is not a Christian, but he writes about this subject. He writes that, uh, again, not as a Christian, but he says, you know, there is something good about worshiping God. And here's how he says it. The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb, your, to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect and you will end up feeling like a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are default settings. And how true that is. They are unconsciously there until they are threatened to be taken from us. And then all of a sudden, here they bubble. In fact, think of this week. What are the things that you have been worried about this week and you've been thinking about this week and maybe it's kept you up at night this week? Take a look at those things and ask yourself, are these, are these the priorities and the values and the things that, that, uh, that God would have me to be living for? Or is this pandemic possibly revealing the real issue that we have and that issue is control. Control. Humans crave gods that we can control. And that is why pandemics put the modern man out of sorts, because pandemics put the modern man out of control. I'm going to say that again. Pandemics put the modern man out of sorts because pandemics put the modern man out of control. You know, in normal times or in calmer times, we live our day-to-day -day life with a sense of being in control of things. In fact, in our, in our modern day with all the technology that we have, uh, we have a heightened sense that, you know, I'm in control of this. I can, I can handle life. And, you know, I, I think about, for example, uh, the, the smartphone where I can get on my smartphone, I can change the thermostat on my smartphone, and, and 45 seconds later, I can trade stocks in Hong Kong. You know, the, the amount of control that I appear to have at my fingertips tries to convince me that I've got everything under control. I'm awesome. And that is why we freak out when we can't find our phones, right? You can't find your phone all of a sudden, you know, for two minutes without your phone. It feels like my world is out of sorts and I'm not in control anymore. And what's going on? Where's my phone? We call people in to help us and to call our number. Why? Because i got to get everything back in control again. I need to have a sense that everything's the way it should be. 
Pandemics on a grander scale remind us, we moderns, that we can't even control the one thing that is the most precious thing to us, and that is our lives. I can't even control that. We all assume that in our modern day that we are going to, if we take relative you know, care of our bodies and if we live a relatively healthy lifestyle, that I'm going to live a, a, a relatively long time. I'm going to live into old age. I'm going to walk my kids down the aisle. I'm going to eat my grandkids' wedding cake. And I'm going to make at least one ob- absurd purchase late in life like a decked out Harley. Like that's just my life. That's the way it's going to be. I almost feel entitled to it. And then a pandemic comes along and it reminds us that things don't always work out this way. Simply being near the wrong person or touching the wrong doorknob might cost me my life. The big thing, totally out of control. So my, 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 my question today is we can disinfect the doorknobs, but how do we disinfect the fear? How do we disinfect the fear? Did you know that the words that Jesus repeated as recorded in Scripture, at least for us, more than any other words in all of the Bible, do not fear. I have oftentimes comforted myself with that, that biblical fact. More than anything else, do not fear. And God gives us many reasons not to fear in the Bible. And one of the places that he does this with the, the greatest clarity is in a passage that if you've been coming to Bethel for any amount of time is very familiar, and that is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, which is my text today, is this wonderful chapter in the Bible, perhaps the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. If you could, if you could, uh, you know, if you could only pick one, bi- one chapter on, an, on a remote island of the Bible that you could have, you might choose Romans 8. That would be a wise choice. And the greatness of Romans 8 really shines through in weeks like we're having and in a crisis like we're having right now. And it's a long chapter, I'm not going to read all the chapter, but I do want to just pull out some of the the greatness, the truths that Romans 8 reminds us of so that we can disinfect fear in our life. Here's the first thing, and it's the first verse of Romans 8, and that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ eradicates our ultimate fear, our ultimate fear. Notice how it begins, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a a thought out there, and there's been a lot of people over the last couple weeks, they've been wanting to say this. They want to say, hey, the, the worst thing you can do is to panic. Don't panic We had a former president that famously said it this way, there is nothing to fear but fear itself, which sounds great, but there's another great leader by the name of Jesus who completely contradicts that. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm not up here to say to you today, hey, 
don't fear anything. Because Jesus said, there's something that everybody should fear. Fear the judgment of God against us and against our sins. So one of the keys with this is to make sure that we are fearing the right things. We are in terror of a virus that can kill the body, but not the soul. At the same time, we have little fear of Almighty God who is going to judge every single person who has ever lived to an eternity in either heaven or hell. And what Jesus says here is, don't fear something that can take your your bodily life. You need to fear God. You need to fear judgment. I think if our society had had half the fear of hell that it has for this virus, a great revival would spread in the United States. So we see in this then one of the keys to disinfecting fear, and that is to make sure that we are fearing the right things, the ultimate things. And for this, God has wonderfully in Jesus provided the ultimate disinfectant. He says here, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if God's condemnation is our greatest fear, then Jesus is our greatest comfort and our greatest hope. No matter what happens, my soul is safe forever in Jesus. Hear that? Now I'm speaking to Christians here, and the verse is speaking to Christians. It is for those who are in Christ, that's theological shorthand for those who have personally recognized their sin, have seen Jesus as the Savior that God has provided, who died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected to conquer death, and after his resurrection said, anybody who believes in me, I will forgive their sins, and I will give them eternal life. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Romans 8. The no condemnation is for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I just wonder if maybe a week of fear and a society in in terror and, and empty schools and empty shelves in the grocery store and all the things that maybe you are feeling right there in your family room, might this not be something that God would use to draw your hearts to the one true comfort we have in this world and in the next, and that is Jesus Christ, and a relationship with him by faith. Maybe today would be the day that you would put your faith and trust in him. What a silver lining that would be for COVID-19. So Jesus said, fear God more than a virus and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we disinfect our biggest fear by faith in Jesus and I urge all of us to trust in him today. Romans 8 verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This verse answers the question that many people are wondering, and if you get online, you'll see a lot of people talking about this. Where exactly did this virus come from? And there's a lot of speculation about that. Some, you know, particular animal in the markets of of China or, you know, some military or some, you know, laboratory that it it, uh, escaped from. I don't think we exactly know at this point. But the Bible gives the answer for where this virus came from, and this answer was around a long time before COVID-19. 
And the Bible here tells us that all of these diseases and pestilences, all of the troubles and, and, and issues and trials and crises in this world, all of this comes from the sin that Adam and Eve committed. Ever since Genesis 3, this whole cosmos has had a virus. Death came into this cosmos, and with death came every disease uh, and, 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 and every uh, virus and every bacteria and all these things that we uh, work so hard to try to avoid. It is the explanation for uh, every plague and every trouble and every wrinkle on your face is a result of Genesis 3. There has been a virus in this cosmos for a very, very long time. COVID-19, is this is just the latest one in a long list of very similar things that have beset humanity, including centuries of bubonic plague and Spanish flu and typhoid and cholera and on and on and on we could go with these uh, things that down through history have swept through and have created so much pain. So the point of this is that we all live in a scary jungle. This world is a scary jungle. And in the day-to-day -day of life, at least before the last three weeks, we didn't think about it that much. You just kind of live life, drive down the road, you know, go to work, go to school, go to home, do your thing. It doesn't feel like a jungle. And so then when a pandemic comes to us, it's easy for us to think, this is unprecedented. Nobody in all of human history has ever had to face something like this. We are a unique part of humanity to have to go through this singular virus pandemic. And all that means is we don't know history at all. Because human history is, is actually the opposite of that claim. And I came across a quote by my favorite C.S. Lewis as he addresses this. Now, he writes this in the 1940s when all of a sudden there was the nuclear bomb. And humanity for the first time was threatened with a, a, a true weapon of mass destruction. As I read this quote, it's a little bit of a longer quote, bear with me. You can replace coronavirus with, the, insert that into where, what he says about the nuclear bomb. Here's what Lewis says. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply. Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. 
praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our, our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. This world was scary long before a coronavirus showed up. We just live our lives blind to that. And this is now just the latest manifestation of the old virus that came in Genesis 3. Now you might be saying, hey, Pastor Steve, I kind of tuned in today because you were talking about disinfecting fear. And here you are talking about the fact that we live in a scary jungle. I'm not finding this very comforting. How do we navigate it? Well, we have to realize that because it is a scary jungle that we live in, it takes very strong assurances and promises. Ones like Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The Bible doesn't say life's easy, the world is, is not a scary place, everything's going to be fine, you're walking your grandkids, uh, or you're, you're, you're eating your grandkids' wedding cake. It doesn't say that. But what it does promise us is that God is in control of this scary jungle. That everything that happens here is under his sovereign hand and that God has an ultimate purpose in everything, even the things that we deem unpleasant. Now notice again, this verse applies to those who love God. This is the equivalent of Romans 8 verse 1, those that are in Christ Jesus. So this is not a blanket statement for all of humanity. No matter who you are, everything's going to work together for good. In fact, if we are not in Christ Jesus, the Bible assures us that everything is going to work together for bad. But for those that are in Christ Jesus... Everything works together for good. For those who have faith in Jesus Christ. I've told a story before about a men's group that I was a part of years ago. And somebody had a, a friend who had a diagnosis. He was guaranteed by the doctors he only had a few weeks to live. And so he came to our men's group to share with us. And you know, everybody listens to a dying man. And we did at rap, with rapt attention. And he went on to talk about how, as he has been grappling with the fact that he's about to die, he said, you know, of all the things that I've struggled with, I've struggled with Romans 8.28. That God promises everything's going to work together for good for those who love God. He says, I think I love God, but this doesn't, you know, how, how does this verse apply to my cancer? He said, until the day I realized I don't get to decide what's good. And indeed, that is the issue. We have a good God promising good things forever for those who love him. But he gets to decide what's good. We could ask God today, how is people dying and markets crashing and schools closing and fear gripping the whole world? How is this possibly good? And God's answer is that He's not saying all these things independently are good or the activities of evil men or Satan or demons or anything else. He's not declaring everything to be good. Rather, he is saying 
that the sovereign power of God is working through all these things to a guaranteed good that he defines and is directing all things towards. Or to quote C.S. Lewis's good friend J.R.R. Tolkien, someday all the sad things will come untrue. Someday all the sad things will come untrue. And that includes whatever sadness this virus brings to humanity. So the Christian sees the promises of God, rests in this reality that this virus or a thousand other unpleasant realities in life, we can know that God is going to work it all for good. And you say, well, how, Pastor Steve, how do you know that? Like, how can you guarantee that something so vile and so global as this virus, that God can work this thing together for good? Here's how. As bad as this virus is, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened. And the bubonic plague wasn't the worst thing that ever happened. And the Spanish flu wasn't the worst thing that ever happened. What is the worst thing that has ever happened in all of human history? And the answer to that was the crucifixion of the Son of God, the Holy Son of God. His murder is the most vile thing, the most evil thing that has ever happened. And yet, what do we find God doing with the worst thing that has ever happened? God Almighty, in power that he alone has, turns the worst thing into the greatest thing. So that the cross of Jesus Christ is simultaneously the most evil thing that has ever happened, and it is the most wonderful and glorious thing that has ever happened. And that is the power of our God. He is sovereign, he is good, he's in control, and nothing, even the activities of Satan, as Luther said, uh, the devil is God's devil. <laughs> even those things are all things that God is working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God assures us that he is in control, that he has a purpose in all of these things. And we rest in this, knowing that if God can take the worst thing and make it good, he can take things like what's going on right now and also make it good. And so God's, here's God saying to us in Romans 8, 28, he is saying this, trust me, trust me. Disinfect the fear by faith and confidence that nothing will ultimately happen in our lives that is bad for anybody who loves me. Which leads us to one of the greatest truths in all of the Bible. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. There is an internal logic to Romans 8.32. It's the logic of the gospel, and it is the best disinfectant to fear that we can possibly have. I wonder if you saw it there as I, as I read it, that God didn't spare even Jesus, even Jesus, in order to save us. Now, some people look at that and they say, well, that's a statement on our worth. No. We know that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is the most treasured value to God the Father. That, 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 that God the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father. The fact that God didn't spare Jesus in order to save us means that he gave 
the most valuable, the most precious, the most treasured thing in his heart in order to save us. And if he gave us the very best that he had, will he not also give us the rest? He gave his best, he'll give the rest. And that's the rest here is not with him graciously give us all things, all things here. So this is your Clorox today. This is the disinfectant today that God will give us all that we need. And that includes this crisis that we are in today. So let that marinate on your heart. Of all the things I'm going to say today, I hope it's this one that, that, that lingers on. Let that just sit in your heart. He gave me Jesus. You might be, you know, you're rushing, running around trying to find uh, hand soap and toilet paper and what, you know, food or whatever, blah, blah, blah. He gave me Jesus. And if he gave me Jesus, can I not trust God to give me everything else that I need? And that wipe of gospel, truth, and faith disinfects the fear of our hearts. And the conclusion of this chapter is in the unshakable and unending love of God. Look at verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This wonderful verse, he lists 10 things, 10 scary realities of the jungle that we live in where we can kind of think to ourselves, well, maybe this would be strong enough to, to keep me from the love of God. Or maybe this would come along and maybe God's love wouldn't be there uh, with me. And, and you see the big ones here. He, he starts with death, our ultimate fear, our ultimate separation. Does, does Christ's love extend to us in the midst of death? What about life? and all of its uncertainties, and all of its contingencies, and all the things that we can fear. What about all of those dangers? Is there anything that I will ever experience in life that can separate me from the love of Christ? And on through the list he goes, and the answer is this. There is nothing, nothing in all creation that can separate God from loving me. Nothing. And that includes the isolation of what we're going through today. That includes whatever health may come from this. That includes the virus coming from this. Even that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. When we think of the love of God for us and COVID-19, we're talking about two totally different dimensions and powers. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So let's just imagine, imagine with me for a moment, tomorrow, tomorrow, you find out that you have the coronavirus. How do I, how do I, how do I go through this? And, and by the way, mathematically speaking, uh, there are going to be people in our church that this is going to be a reality. This is not a hypothetical. This is going to be a, real, a reality for, for some people, for maybe, maybe many people in our, in our church. This might be a reality for me. This might be a reality for my family. What should we do? Number one, go and get as much medical help as you can, okay? Faith is not uh, in competition 
with seeking medical help. I think back to Nehemiah, who when the, when the armies were threatening to, to take them down, it says that they prayed and they set a guard. Okay, and so we Christians, we need to be practical people, and God's will certainly gives room for lots of practicality. You go get as much medical help as you can. But as you do, how do we disinfect the fear of it? Here's how. As a Christian, I think to myself this. No matter what happens, I mean, no matter what happens, I don't have to fear judgment. It's eternal life for me forever. No matter what happens, God has a purpose in this, which someday I will look back on even getting this virus, and I'm going to agree with him that this is somehow good. No matter what happens, God's in control, and he is guaranteed that he's going to provide all that I need. No matter what happens, this virus cannot take from me my most treasured possession, which is God's eternal Love. There is nothing in all creation, this virus included, that can separate me from God's eternal love. Now listen, none of us want to be sick. None of us want our lives threatened. But no matter what, God's got this. Friends, listen, God's got this. He is in control. And he has us forever and ever, life without end. So wipe away fear with the disinfectant of faith in the promises of God that cannot and will not ever fail us. And activate the same faith that trusts in Jesus for my eternity and apply it to the crisis that we are in today. Ask God to increase your faith and be confident that there is nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord.